Hey, it's Dan here. If you want to hear this episode of the Backchat Podcast without ads and get extra content that no one else gets, head to backchatstudios.com.au where you can sign up as a patron and access all of our bloody good merch. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. G'day guys, this week on Backchat we've got Garrick Ibbots and this one's for all those Dockers out there. And you know what, footy fans uh, worldwide, yes worldwide, that's exactly right. Uh, he's a backman, so that's why you're going to love him. Um, he, I called him a Dow defender, I don't know if he was, but he certainly had a bit more skill than I ever did. He was an interceptor, he was in the All-Australian squad, he played for Australia, has some cracking stories about Ross Lyon, pretty good imitation I must admit. And I think you'll enjoy this, all lovers of footy. So tune in, uh, get around him. Gary Gibbetson, a great pod, a great listen. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Give us a rating and follow Back Chat on YouTube to watch all of our episodes. Enjoy. You've heard from this man before over at our weekly back chat show, but we thought given his illustrious career with the Fremantle Dockers, we'd get him on for the big dance over here at Back Chat, powered by Fleet Network. And I'll tell you what, that means it's powered by Gary Gibbonson. Yeah, How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm What's good, guys. On? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for coming in again. No yeah, worries. Again, All good. Times two, but we're going to get right into your career. And we're going to start with the first question we ask every guest. Um, you're a fan of the show now, so I know what, you know what's coming, but... 177 games, Freo, great effort, life member, terrific. You played for Australia, really good. Um, All-Australian squad member, like, that's great, but we mm. just want to say we don't really care off the top. We want to know your greatest sporting achievement not on the football field. Do you have something for us? Um, what were you? Cricket, you're you're going to give us player. something on the on the back chat show. Do we pull we him said, back? We said, no, really? no, we're going to wait. So yeah. you've, had, you've had, what, four months to, to prep? <laughs> oh, Dan's <come>. Yeah, <laughs> I've had four months to prep, but nothing's happened in the four months. So it's all the same stuff to work with. I um, Well, not really. The best thing I reckon, and it's not overly glamorous, to be honest. Look, I played soccer growing up. So before leading into footy, I was a soccer player. Yes. Um, Be a good one. Well, probably not. Not really. But in saying that, this game that I happened to play, we won 14 to nil. Wow. But I kicked seven. That day, which in a soccer term is pretty good, that's but I was probably six years old. Double hat trick, so that's fine. I was happy with it, trust but, me. So, what was it? Were you a striker? No, I was a midfielder. So, <laughs> but in like it's like you're playing on a tiny field, there's probably about eight people on the pitch when you're that young. So, 
that's like, I mean, that's like, I mean, Dan's five or six name was against like children as well. So I was also a child though. You have to keep. <laughs> so it. was Gary, child prodigy. Yeah, all right. exactly. Yeah. So you were a soccer player growing up. Yeah, I was. Yeah, only because so my primary school didn't have a footy oval, so led into soccer and then switched from soccer to footy at about I reckon 13, 13 or fourteen. Do you reckon that transferred skills? Like I just think of Sam Butler. He was a big soccer guy growing up, and he always used to say that things he'd learnt playing and growing up transferred into footy. Did it for you? Well, possibly. It probably didn't help with my hardball. That's for sure with the footy <laughs> stuff. The contact wasn't there playing <laughs> soccer. <laughs> yeah. So I um yeah more of an outside player. I think. Are you? Do you have um a bit of what's your heritage? Your do you have a bit of a European in you? Uh, so dad was born in England. Right. Shifted over here when he was five, I reckon. Um. Mum's got more of it. Not really the Europe I was hoping for. Yeah, no. Nah, so not really. My, um, Do you want him to say the beautiful game? I don't know. He just, like, he just looks a bit, looks a bit Euro. Europe, I don't yeah. know. No, not really, mate. No, Dad, dad's English, but yeah, not a whole lot. Mum's probably an Irish background, but she was born here, same with her parents. So. Okay. That's so, all right. So we are, we've been asking as well, first car, and this is from the man, the GM <laughs> of Fleet Network. Oh, yeah. What was your first car? Uh, so I got my license 2005, so 17 back then. Yes. Uh, it was a 1991 Subaru Liberty manual sedan. Um, That's old. Like, was it yeah, still? it was probably uh, cost me probably four grand. Something manual like that. Yeah, manual light blue. Um, I had a subwoofer in it, you know, thinking it was great. But <laughs> it was. Um, I tried to pull the wool over my dad's eyes because I'm a bit of a car person even back then. Um, and dad was flat out no on rear wheel drive cars, so I wanted a Falcon at the time. But dad said no because rear wheel drive, being a young kid, you'll crash it. Um, so then we went to see the Subaru Liberty. Same thing as I ended up getting, but it was actually a turbo version. He had no idea. So when we rocked up there, I was thinking, oh, I'm half a chance. It's more expensive than the others, but hopefully it's just a condition. He might be okay with it. Um, had a bonnet scoop on it. And he was like, oh, it's a bit like, different to some What's of the others. What's a bonnet scoop? What is a bonnet it's just, scoop? Well, when you look at a bonnet, there's nothing on it. If you've got like a WRX or something, they have like a little like air intake sort of thing. Right. Oh. So, right. Aerodynamics. Like drag car things. have like Kind of. Yeah, something sure. like that. Yeah. So he piqued so his interest. He goes, oh, it looks a bit. And the guy come out with it. He goes, oh, it's a turbo car. Dad goes, nah, not having it. So we got pretty close to getting into that one, but we ended up with the um, the manual non-turbo front wheel drive version, which is not mm, great. Good. To be I honest. remember my first car wasn't rear wheel drive and I was a bit like annoyed by that because you couldn't do good like burnouts. You, know, you couldn't whip the tail out. So you yeah. had to use the handbrake. We do like promoting uh, responsible driving here. At <laughs> yes, us too at Fleet Network. So I was a 17 year old driving a 92 Lancer. So. Is that what yours was? Mm, Red Dragon. Red Dragon. I had a sticker made for it and I had it on the back windows. How old are you? Red Dragon. Uh, 33, 89, born 89. Yeah, so you're close. So you had a 92, I had a 91. Yeah. A couple of legends driving around. <laughs> there, tell you what. 92 With front cars. wheel drives. Yeah. You're a West Australian boy. What's, I am, yeah. what's life like growing up then um, in your household? Is it sporty? Is it what's like you end up a professional athlete for a, for a living? Um, it was relatively sporty. More just like my brother played a bit of footy in that growing up. Um, he went down the path of sort of going to uni more than anything. So he did junior sports the same as probably everybody does. Um, dad was a swimmer. Um, mum was more, well, nothing really sport orientated. So it was just more me being sort of keen on doing it. Like I was not a real, um, school person growing up, if I can sort of say like that. Like I, I do, enjoyed going to school, but academically it wasn't my thing. I'd much prefer to go and play sport and do other things. So, um, I think it was just more me being keen on the sport. Plus I, I never played footy until I was 13, but everyone's kicked a footy. Like it's not like I walked in there off the street with never seen a footy before. Like yes. I, Kick the ball around plenty of times, so it's not like it's completely foreign. It just wasn't something I'd done as a team sport. But what's so. that like as a thirteen-year-old? Like, I mean, it is different to you know. I would say 
maybe most AFL guys that sort of go through Auskick, six years old, and they build their talents and stuff. Like, what's it like playing your first game of AFL, not having you, – you, you, you wouldn't have played a game of AFL. No, I hadn't. And to be honest, at the time, it was under 13s, I reckon it was. I was still playing soccer at the time, but a friend of mine from school um, – Tim Dawson, he was playing at Bull Creek Leaming. He goes, mate, we need some players. So if you're around, like soccer was on Saturday or a Sunday or whatever it was, and the, the footy game was like a fill-in game. So the pressure for me was nothing because I was just a fill-in player. Yes. So I um I played sort of halfway that first game, and then the next week they were a bit the same. They were shorter numbers. So I played the remaining eight or nine games or something like that. So pressure-wise, it was none. So yeah. I was just happy to go. I was a, a fill-in soccer player at the time, so it was, it was pretty Did easy. Did you wear shin guards? No, no shin guards. No. <laughs> and you could tackle. But actually, you could physically manhandle someone. In soccer, you just got to slide around. Yeah, but like I said, wasn't really my strong suit either. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't out there hunting down the hard stuff. So, Mate, you're underselling yourself a bit. You're a Dow defender at stages in your career, interceptor as well. You Let, say, so Dow a defender, you say as a I say it with compliment. all respect. Yeah, I know. Like, what do you think? Mate, like, that's, that's the ultimate respect I give you, mate. <laughs> oh, no. I want me to say you're a free-flowing, intercepting defender that doesn't play anyone. Would you like that? No, it's it's probably sounds better though than a dower defender. Yeah, but correct. I did. I read some articles doing a bit of research for this chat, and there were some headlines. I was like, oh, probably could have gone a different way for Garrick, but that's fine. Yeah, out of sorts defender was one of the headlines. I was like, what the fuck? I think I remember that article because it was um. <laughs> yeah. What is out of sorts? Mick mean? Barlow got stuck into the guy who wrote it at the time because yes. I think it said um. At, well, was it more out of form? Yeah. Or out of um, favour, Docker? Yeah. Something about that. Oh, Mick Barlow's like, retirement. out of form. Yeah. You'd retired. Yeah, that was, was the out of form, re- Docker retires. Or yeah, hangs up the boots or something <laughs> like that. Out of favour, Docker, oh, yeah. You know who wrote it? No, who? Travis King, who is the current media manager at the West Coast Eagles. <laughs> oh, great. There you Shout go. That Travis makes King. sense. <laughs> um, now, uh, let's go way, way back, though. The start of your career. You get drafted in 2005. Yep. Um, What's what's that like? Like you've, you said, you've taken up footy late. Um, did you play state footy coming into that? Did you think you were going to get drafted? Yeah, so I played state footy. I tried out for the schoolboys and didn't make it. Then I played under 16s, under 18s as a 17-year-old. So leading into the draft, I was sort of 50-50 on whether I'd go at all. Mm. And then in, further again, if I was going to get picked up, I'd most likely be going into state. So I think back then, I was remember sort of being in the house watching the draft, but it wasn't live. So it was on... Computer, so it would load every sort of three picks at a time. So yes, and you would have a dial up. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it was, we had like a little projector sort of screen, and I think pick maybe twenty four had come up, and the next ones were going to be twenty five, twenty six, and twenty seven. And Frio were twenty six, but I think either Brisbane or Port Adelaide or someone with a pick beforehand. And before it had loaded, my manager had called me. He goes, "Mate, you must be pumped." And in my head, I was like, "Oh, well, it's either Brisbane or Port Adelaide, possibly." So I'm pumped, but that's a worry. Right. So, so, but then it wasn't until I, well, I'd preferred to. Yes. I, um, and I think even going back, I didn't think about it much at the time. When I interviewed with Port Adelaide at the draft camp, um, they asked me, oh, would you prefer to stay at home or go into state? And I said, oh, I don't really mind, but staying at home would probably be my preference. And I reckon it, I don't know whether it hurt me or not, but um, I ended up at Freer, which is great. But, it would have been Choco Williams, wouldn't it? Yeah, it was. And the thing, so he, of all that, I can't remember much else from the draft camp, to be honest, but the interview with him, I was sitting there and there was um, Choco Williams and a few others sitting there. Nick Moylan would have been another guy. Probably. And so I was sitting in a chair like this. There was a few chairs around and they were sort of talking amongst themselves. So I come in and I was just sitting just like this waiting 17 years old and he looks over and he goes, why have you got your arms folded? <laughs> and I was like... I sort of didn't really know what to say. And I thought, well, I was just sort of waiting for you guys to fit, not do what waiting. you were doing. So I said, oh, no. So I just unfolded him. He goes, no, no, 
don't make me like pressure you into doing it. Whatever's comfortable. Oh my God. So then I was sitting there and I was like, oh far out. Do so I cross my arms? Do I not? So he'd, he'd <laughs> thrown me off from the get-go. And that's the only thing I remember from the interview. So I got cooked by Chaco Williams in mine as well. I think I've told this story. I won't tell it again. What, but what's, I, what's the right answer when they say? Would you nothing. Know? They're testing you. They're testing you to see. They're either testing, well, is he going to fold his arms back up or is he going to stay to his, stick to his guns or is he going to fold under pressure? I don't know. Like there's no right answer. <laughs> no, there's not. He's a lunatic though. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you get drafted uh, 2005. Don't play in your first year, debut your second year. Is that right? Yeah. So I was 2005 drafted 17. I played the whole year of reserves at East Romano 2006. Yeah. And then I played one game in 2007 with Freo round 11, I think it was. East Freo is your home club, right? East like, Freo is a home yeah. club, yeah. So before the alignment happened, yeah. I was East Freo. So I had played my juniors and everything there anyway. Um, but yeah, played reserves a whole year on the Freo list, then played league for East the following year, played one game for Freo in and out. Had like seven touches and a goal or something like that. So I was kicked in and out. Kicked a goal, yeah, but I was happy with the goal. But seven touches obviously didn't do it. So yeah. Sorry, um, you kicked a goal in your first game? Yeah. That's good. First kick? Nah, not first kick. Because no. you only kicked 22 across your career. Yeah. And you kicked one I got one first. out early. You must have thought <laughs> yeah. you were going to kick 200. <laughs> it was uh, it was Dower. Half- well, I was playing half forward wing back then. So I was um, I probably kicked, I don't know, 18 or 15 of them in the first couple of years and then nothing else much after that. I wasn't right sure up. where I was going to roll this out, but it appears quite early. I hit up our man Sir Swamp Thing, Dan, mm. and I was just searching for some maybe some you know top-tier stats regarding Garrick Ibbotson. Most career VFL, AFL goals without ever kicking multiple goals in a game. You sit in the top three of the AFL. Uh, who are the other two? Herdia Labumba. Oh, yeah. 30. I don't know who these guys are. Jack Brake and Ray Byrne had 23. And you, at third position, 22 goals without kicking multiple goals in a game. Yeah. So you are in the top three players of all time. There you that. go. Congratulations. Did you know you had kicked multiple goals in a game before? Yeah, of course I did. <laughs> did you get close? Every time I'd kick one, I was thinking I might be a chance to kick a second here. But so, no. right, so you come in and straight back out. Um, Ross Lyons, your coach, your whole career? No, nah, so it was Chris Connolly, 2000, or well, end of five, six and seven, yeah. and then Mark Harvey, eight, nine, 10, mm. 11, and then Ross from 12 to 17. Yeah, right. So what are your relationships with all those guys? Uh, we'll get into Ross a little bit later, but, the, you know, Connolly and Harvey, um, young bloke coming up. Well, Connolly... I was playing reserves at Eastern Manor. So yeah. most of my relationship was with um, like Steve Laxos and the development coaches back yes. then. I had that one game. Connolly wouldn't have been giving you too much in the hallways. Probably not. No. He wouldn't have had a whole lot. Yeah, exactly. He would have thought, it's not really my problem just yet. You're, you're a development person and <laughs> if yeah. you even like, get past that. So I, I don't have anything much to do with Connolly at all. Yeah. Mark Harvey, pretty much the same. I played three or four years with him. Um, Ross, I've sort of messaged when he got the St Kilda gig because he – Great coach, Ross. I know people have different opinions on him. He was fantastic for the footy club and fantastic for me as a player. So I sort of text him and say congratulations when he got his um, his gig at St Kilda. So. Did he reply? He did. Oh, yeah, he replied and asked how my family's going and things. So, yeah. Fine. He seems like a people person, although as a player in the midst of it, I reckon we'll get into some stories a little bit later on the pod. You'll have some good ones. Uh, 2008, Rising Star Nom. So you go 2006, no games. 2007, the one. 2008, one of the best in the business. You're one of the rising stars. Come fifth that year. Yeah. Reese Palmer won it too, who was in the Frio team at the same time. So, wow. Um, I, see you, I, I see you as like, I see you as a lot older than Reese Palmer. <laughs> I, I think I'm a I year older. A, compliment. a year think... older. Well, he was drafted 2000. And, so I was a 17-year-old in 05. Yes. He was an 18-year-old in 07, I reckon. Yes. So we're only a year apart, but we're two years different on the list. Right. So because I'd only played one game 
leading up to 08 and was under, I think you have to be under a certain age. As long as you haven't played more than 10 games, yeah. you're still eligible for the Rising Star. So I went into that year as a 19-year-old. He was an 18-year-old. So two blokes, top five in the Rising Star. Like you, you start in a, a period for the club where you're building and you have like high-end talent, but you've got like a big group of young guys that you come through with, right? Uh, yeah. And I sort of think about this a lot. Like AFL players, and I sort of see it depends a lot on the opportunity that you're given. So like if you come into a side like we did, so Freo was sort of building then. Like 06 had played in finals previously, yep. but we had like Reese Palmer played a lot of footy. Chris Main was in that same sort of area. I was the same. We were fortunate we got sort of 18, 19, 20 games pretty early. And then from there, at least you give yourself a chance. Like if at least you show something, mm. you're probably going to give yourself more chance. And I reckon there's plenty of guys who have got onto a list, haven't had the opportunity, whether it's through injury, um, it's just a hard side to break into. They shift and they end up not making it. But it's probably because they never had the chance. Mm. So There's a fair bit of luck, right? I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. Timing. I don't think... Even the mature age or mid-season draft, mm. you see so many guys in the waffle that would probably walk into an AFL side and be fine. They yeah. may not be like your Chris Jard, but yes. they would be serviceable on most lists. It's just you don't get the opportunity and you think, well, if I take a mid-season draft, am I going to cost myself a spot on the list to get a Chris Jard or like a young like, prodigy that you, you may be sort of able to get hold of? So um, I think having a bit of luck when you get drafted definitely helps. Well, when, when did you become sort of the front man poster boy of Fremantle Dockers Media? I just, I was Sorry. looking up, <laughs> I was looking up on YouTube. Sure that's happened Garrett, I just looked up Garrick Gibbardson on YouTube. Oh yeah. Okay. And there's 5,000 media conferences with Garrick Gibbardson. No, they Hosting not. Docker TV, TV things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're hosting. Like, so you're the guy. Why, you were nah. always that guy. No, well, this is, this is something that was, um, so Ryan Crowley and I used to do a, for a newsroom. And that's what it is. That's how well I'm going. Like if you search search me on YouTube, there's more like of those videos than there is anything footy related. So it's more because I've just been on there and they have to post so much content. Yeah, the, oh, there's so much of it. Was it a podcast? No, nah, it was a like, very, very amateur like newsroom where we'd bring up a few little bits and pieces here and there. And it was really hard to film. So it was nothing like this. Um, but but even like time, post game presses and like the weekly, you know, they put up one player and the coach, you seem to be that guy. Were you just a good media person? Do you... Does that sound surprising to you? Uh, yeah, touch. I mean, the the Freo newsroom stuff doesn't surprise me because I know that that's on there. They posted that kind of stuff. You were on the team store until 2019. You retired in 2017. I didn't know about that, yeah. I only recently <laughs> I found out about that. So at Subiaco, there used to be West Coast team store and Freo team store. Out, yes. out the, like that was West Coast home ground, clearly. And Garrick Iverson had a full-size, du- double full-size. It was bigger than life-size photo on the store, and it was still there in 2019. And they, they were knocking, they were knocking it, it down. It was <laughs> derelicts by then. It was no one even there, so they just left it. Didn't have to pay any appearance fees for any on that. So, so. You, t- t- 2008, um, you start really building. And after a couple of years, you play for Australia in 2010. Yeah, you but this is – your country. Yeah, I did. It was great. I loved it. Went to Ireland. Now, but people get this a bit mistaken because like Adam Pickering and Frank and those sort of guys in the office, they take the piss out of me because of it. But back then – like now to play for Australia, you have to be an All-Australian. Back then, it was like whoever's available pretty much. Or was it beat the Irish? I've seen the team and I was going through it before. It's like speed. It looks like Mick Mulhouse's pick speed. Yeah. And like to be honest, like that year and probably all the years before that, before it was All-Australian, they would have probably offered it to like Pav and Luke McFarlane and like Fifey and everyone else. But if there's someone who's having surgery or someone's on holiday or – they just don't want to risk them. They won't go. So then, like myself and Paul Duffield to, went over there. It wasn't really a high criteria like selection. Can I tell I think you some of, the, just... some of the players that are in it? 
I mean, you know. Yeah, well, I know, yeah. <laughs> um, Todd Banfield from Brisbane. Just so These are some highlights, I would say. Todd Banfield, Daniel Cross. Like, he was a good player, but he's in. Paul Duffield, uh, James Frawley from Melbourne, young. He must have been young. Bryce Gibbs, young. Tyson Goldsack. These guys are all my draft. Uh, Sam Gilbert, good fella. Uh, Garrett Gibbertson, Kieran Jack, superstar. Jared McVeigh, Lee Montanias, Liam Picken, Jack Rewalt, young. Cade Simpson, Dane Swans, when he was there for some beers, I'm assuming, and Travis Varco, David Wojcinski. Almost every one of those players is lightning quick. And Mick Malthouse is the coach. Yeah. Was it a good trip? Great trip. And I think what happened, and I don't know whether this is part of the selection or not, there'd been a couple of um, the tours, I think, previous to that where they'd got into blues, like everyone. Yes. And the very first day we got over there, they said, look, we need a win, but there's a bit of a responsibility on everyone here that, it can't turn into just a flat-out brawl because they'll can the whole series and it'll be done. So Australia, the island's over. Over, yeah. So I think back in sort of 2006 and there was a couple like the Subiaco games and then there was some over in Ireland where it just turned into a like, yeah. slugfest pretty much. Yeah, him. going nuts. Yeah. So then when it came to us, they said, look, we want it to still happen. I don't think the Irish were overly happy with the way it was sort of panning out. So they said, look, responsibility is to win, um, but we can't be – it can't just be a big – not at all costs. Yeah, exactly. So it was a great trip and I love being there, but the, it wasn't like an all-Australian criteria that it is now. Did, didn't Australia just always win? No. Was, was it tight? Absolutely not. Did you win? No. Yeah, we won. Yeah, we did. Yep. Why don't they it do it anymore? Series of yeah. two. Well, COVID kind of happened. It, it was it was right. here sort of 2017, I think it was the last one. Right. Did, mm. did you – was it two, three games, two games? Uh, I think it was two games. We played a war, like a practice match, I think, as well. But there was it was of two. Yeah. Did uh, anyway. did the the soccer background? Like, like, it can't just be because you were sitting around at home and Gary Gibbons available. Take did you have him. You you played good footy and there had to be reasons you were picked. Well, I don't know. I'm not part of that criteria. I don't know. <laughs> but I do like the only thing I do know is that like the the year that I went, like it wasn't just myself and Paul Duffield and said oh, you guys go. There was probably a list of seven or eight guys. But yes. like like I said, like Pav might have had surgery or was doing something else or yes. like whoever it was. Like they would have had a list of say. And like I'd come off the back of like a rising star in 08. So like I was youngish yeah. and like body wise, you know, when you're that old, you can walk out of your car and be ready to play. So like you can travel and like the guys who are playing footy and have been doing for so however long, they want to probably have their time off rather than going and traveling to Ireland and playing games and training the whole way through your off season and coming straight back into an AFL season. What so, are some of the memories? Like, like, do you remember playing? Do you remember like... Was there was there decent amount of time for beers? Like, what was the trip like? Yeah, it was good. So the first thing, um, so Adam Goods was there too, right? So he we went over to Melbourne, and like we sort of went out together, all the interstate guys, because the Melbourne crew, I guess, all the ones who played for like Collingwood and Carlton, and they sort of know each other already. Everyone who came over from interstate, Adam Goods was like, right, let's all go out together and we'll get to know each other, might like have dinner and things. So he took the the AFL card, and then he's taken us out. On the town that night as well. So he's gone and got the card paper and all. Yeah, so he's sorted all of that out. So that was the first sort of lead into it, which was great. One of the better things about that whole story is, um, so Mick Moldhouse was the coach. Dane Swan was there. So Dane Swan was obviously playing at Collingwood and Mick Moldhouse was the coach of the Australian side and Collingwood. Mm -hmm. And he said, like he sort of laid out some ground rules of being over there. And he said, look, we're four games. We're not going out and things like that. Dane Swan, who this is his actual like AFL coach as well. So it's not like me going over there and if like, Mick Malthouse gets shitty, who cares? Because it's not my coach. Yes. Dane Swan's out like every night. I was like, how are you doing this? And he goes, he would go out to fire exit and wedge it open with a brick. So then he can go out, carry on at night time, roll in through the fire exit and sneak in back to his room. <laughs> He's like, but being who he is and like the performance that he can do, he didn't really care anyway. So he was over there, played really well, just did whatever he likes. It won, was, won the Browner the next year. Yeah. 
So we had Halloween over there too, which is massive. Yes. So like Jack Rewitt and a few other guys all dressed up and like it was a great trip. I loved it. But the actual footy side of thing was like playing Crow Park. Like it was pretty good, pretty impressive um, week or so. Um, I'm just trying to see when did Collingwood win the flag? 2010. 2010. So they won the flag. Swanee in the off season came and then he won the Brownlow the next year. Yeah, he was After well. propping the final. <laughs> <laughs> Big the yeah. I bloody love that. So uh, 2010 goes by. 2011. Do you remember getting flattened by Dale Thomas? Uh, Dan wrote that question, by the way. Flat. Yeah. Oh, did you mention it to me? I can't remember if it was you or someone else. I think someone else had said, oh, look, okay. Sometimes Dan runs something. things in the, in the run shed, and if he doesn't go with them, I just go with them, and I hope he's right. Did you get <laughs> yeah. flattened? No, there was it was it was it was reminiscent of Jordan Degoe this weekend on Elijah. Wow, Hill. left hit. the ground, big big bump, big hit. It was huge. Hit. So you did get flattened. Flat. Not flattened. No, not really. Good. I hit the kick those two. I, I remember. Yeah, you kicked it, and then you got it's. It's, it's no shame in getting knocked over no. by a guy running at you. It is for Dow defenders, mate. <laughs> yeah. And especially Just Dale reflects. Thomas. Dale reflects. Thomas, it's not. <laughs> on when you Google a Dow defender, you get YouTube videos of a free newsroom and then like a hit from somebody else on me. There's not a whole lot else showing on there of um, anything else. You're not to make highlights. I never saw this yeah. free newsroom. Like, did you watch some? It's brutal, man. Is it, it really is. Yeah, we had like a little run sheet of say like three or four questions and like we'd have to go back and forward. It took ages to get it sorted. Then like there'd be a little video of something that's happened in – I don't know, the footy club somewhere. It wasn't great viewing, to be I think honest. at one point, one of you's had just like your cap on crooked and you're just talking to the camera like you're a newsreader. It's just... Well, it used to change all the time. So if it was Starlight or if it was like um, whatever the was happening for the game each time, like there'd be some sort of like a theme towards it. And it, was, it wasn't great, mate, to be honest. But it used to get good, good views back then. So like when you're looking at content from footy clubs from like 2008, 9, 10 or whatever it was. Yeah. You're just ahead of your time, great. that's all. It's too early. Probably led you guys into this. You might have seen it and gone, you know what, we can do that. So you were, you had you had injuries throughout your career, but through this period of your career, like you're playing pretty pretty regularly, like 22 in 2009, 19, 2010, 18, 2011, 2012, 23. So like you, you, you're playing every week. Like is that is that – I know you start getting some up and down relationship with Ross towards the back end, but through here are you first pick type player? Uh, well, no, I was never first picks. I think, um, like from 2000 and probably eight to, I guess the end of 2011, I didn't have a whole lot of issues. Like I had some shoulder concerns, I think in 2010, maybe. And I think I had a, I had to have a hernia operation after the 2010, this, um, Australian rules sort of series, but a lot of them were mixed up at like end of season sort of surgeries. So yeah. it didn't really affect my season too much yeah. the shoulders i had i had some issues but i had sort of five weeks off with a dislocated shoulder and then did it again like end of the season had surgery then i was right for the year after so i was pretty lucky in that sort of four year pat like stretch where i didn't have any real injury concerns during the season anyway so case in point though you're playing a fair bit of footy um 2013 you come into that year i'm assuming the preparation goes quite well you fly to adelaide for a scratch match um in adelaide obviously yeah You've got uh, your dates mixed up. Oh, yeah. Do I? Yeah, a little bit. Yep. <clears throat> so it's not the start of 2013? No. Oh, yeah, it is the start of 2013, but it's end of 2012. So the prep into 13 wasn't great because this right. is the whole um, right. reason behind it, if the, I think, what you're leading okay. into it. Well, right. okay, so you can go back on the prep, but the 2013 scratch match, you can't quite get it done against your opponent. Leaves you out of the team for a little while. Talk, me, talk to me about what I'm talking about. Yeah, so this is probably um, – even to the back end of 2012, we played Adelaide – in a qualifying final, I reckon it was. And I got subbed out at the end of the like 2000, with that Adelaide game over in Adelaide. So I got subbed out of that game. Ross is like, you're having no impact on the game at all. I had like 14 and a goal or something. So I was like, 
no impacts probably a bit harsh. Like I was in, in my head, I was thinking that surely there's someone else who can come off instead of me here. But anyway, I got um, subbed out of that game. So end of 2012, didn't finish great. Right. Um, I think I'd played almost every game you that did, year. You did, 23 so, games. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I'd played like the whole year, but then the very last one, the last one that you kind of want to make a bit of an impact in, get subbed out for um, like no impact. So then- and those exact disposals he's had. Yeah, well. <laughs> 14. Yeah, well, this comes up a lot, this conversation. Right. So, um, and then leading into the 2013 season, we played Adelaide- in a scratch match. So this is just a pure off-the-cuff Frio and Adelaide have said, let's have a game together. Nothing to do with the preseason. Um, let's just go and have a like a sort of an intra club, but against opposite. So gone over there and Tom Lynch, so not the Richmond Tom Lynch, the yeah. Adelaide Tom Lynch, I was playing on him in this scratch match. And one of our like real key indicators as a defender back then was being able to stop an exit. So for anyone who doesn't understand what that is, if we're playing Adelaide, if Frio kick the ball into our forward 50 and say Adelaide market, their next kick, we want to try and stop that exit. So it'll be a high half forward that's going to get an exit kick. It might be a Jamie Cripps West Coast or someone like that. That was our real indicator. So to make sure that you switched on, if you've kicked the ball into the forward 50, you should really be on to where the next ball is coming from. You're not worried about what the ball's doing. You're like, where's my opponent? Cut the exits. West the next Coast one. the same thing. Yeah. So we were, on the, like, we were on the side where the ball's been kicked into. The ball's come out the far side. So he's... Tom Lynch has marked it on the opposite side of the ground. So good player. Been... I will say Tom Lynch played on a bit. A good player, I reckon. I think he's a reasonable player. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, not a <laughs> very, great, very not good great. player. Not great. Good. He was pretty good, though. He was good and had his days. <laughs> had some big days. Yeah. Good runner. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, this yeah. is the thing. So, this game, um, scratch match in Adelaide, he gets an exit kick on me. Like, got one. After the game, we come back to Perth. We go through the review and it comes up in the review, like you've missed an exit. Went up to a meeting with Ross and there was me sitting in a chair like this. There was Ross, Simon Lloyd, Chris Bond, Michael Pryor, who was my defensive coach at the time, Jason Weber, who was the um, like strength and conditioning coach. Big meeting. There's a lot of people. Tell me about it. Are they all on one side of the desk? Yeah, I'm on this side and they're on that side. <laughs> so in my head, I was thinking, this is not, it's not probably not going to go that well. <laughs> so I, um, I'm sitting there and he's going through it and he said, mate, Tom Lynch... And I don't know, I think Tom Lynch might have even trained with St Kilda for a little while before he got picked up. Ross said, he goes, mate, Tom Lynch couldn't run out of sight. He goes, I could run faster than Tom Lynch. And in my head, I was thinking, he didn't seem too bad. Like aerobically, he was quite, and I've played on him since this time, obviously, but back then I didn't really know. And I was like, well, I didn't think he was too bad. He goes, you're done. This is Ross to me. He goes, mate, you're done. He goes, there's no way that he should be able to beat you on an athletic contest out to an exit on the opposite side of the ground. And that was the last thing he said, like, you're done. He goes, you can speak to Mick Pryor about what's going to happen from here on. And that was like, so pre-season game. I didn't play any of the pre-season after that. I didn't play until round five of 2013 from this Tom Lynch incident. So he literally like, meant you're done. Yeah. So when he said you're done, I was like, well, it's the start of the season. De-listed? I'm not proper done. I didn't think I was delisted. Yeah, what right. did you think? Well, I'm I didn't done. know. So he goes, when he says, oh, you're done, because I've heard him say, oh, mate, you're done to guys before. But in this scenario, when it was me and like five other people, I was a bit concerned about what done actually meant. Um, so then I didn't play for like eight weeks or something. So I missed a bunch of footy because of this Tom Winch incident. And I played at him a heap of times after that. And I think aerobically, he's actually really good. So I was, um, I was a bit flat. Do you ever get another exit mark on you? Or? He probably did, but not many. <laughs> <laughs> so he taught you a lesson. <laughs> yeah, he did. He actually really did. And to be honest, and to Ross's credit, like it was a – well, I, was a, I thought it was a bit of a harsh lesson at the time because I was like, oh, it's a pre-season game in Adelaide. Like, we're still sort of warming into the season. But, yeah, I missed like eight games of footy because of it. Didn't start again until round five of 2013. And then even in that game, so went into the 2013 game, first game back of the whole year after this incident, 
half time, Ross said to me, he goes, man, if you keep going the way you're going, you'll be out again. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> So I, had, I was like half a game in to the next, like my first game back after eight weeks. So I was a bit panicked. I ended up, I think I had a reasonable game in the end. And then that next, I don't know, 12 games of that season was probably the best of what I played in that stretch until I got injured. So it was a... Um, it was a pretty big learning curve, but it led into some pretty good footy afterwards. Is that so, like a normal Ross tactic? You know, like making a example sort of like, I'm mean, going to just maybe go harsher than I need to just to prove a point or something. I don't know. It's, um, I don't know whether it was harsher than you really needed to. Um, I reckon I still would have got the point if I had to come back in sort of four, three, three or four weeks or something like that. But, um, had you had a bad prep into that? Cause I said you'd had, you said, you said, nah, it was nah, normal preseason. Normal preseason. Yeah. Everything was the same. It's nah. just that the, um, yeah, going in, going into that preseason like scratch match pretty much over in Adelaide. I was like, far out, a bit harsh, but um, worked out okay in the end. So yeah, you say you play your best footy after that. So I would, I think he would argue probably he's like, well, you learnt your lesson. <laughs> 2013 club plays in the grand final. That is this year that we're talking about. So you play your best footy, and then do you do your Achilles or are you? What, what's the injury? Yeah, round so eighteen. Yeah, so I come in so round five yep. to play this game after that. Um, Tom Winch incident. And then I played again up until, so round 18 was the last game that I'd played, but I'd started to get some Achilles issues sort of leading into that last game. And then after that, I was pretty much a test for four weeks in a row. So like I traveled with the side, test, didn't make it, came back, tried again, did some different sort of like, um, like medical sort of testing to try and get it right. Went and traveled again, tested again, came back, tested, no good. So I was pretty much from then I was done. So it ended up being, I had like an inflamed um, Achilles tendon but I had like a Hagland deformity as well. So there was a bone spur that was pressing against the tendon. So whenever I would run, because the tendon was inflamed, it was pres pressing on, like the bone press into it. So I couldn't walk or anything. So I ended up having surgery um, the week before. So I watched the week before the Sydney final. So I had that in Melbourne, came back, watched the Space Sydney to get into the grand final. So I missed it. But, um, so yeah, so Freo played a grand final that year. Like you said, you're playing your best footy. Um, What's, what's that? What's reflecting on that year like for you? Um, 2013, surgery. You see them playing a grand final, don't win it. What are, mm. what are your memories? It's, um, I mean, it was a big season from the, the sort of, from everything that happened from like the end of 2012 to the end of 2013. Like it was a, a bit of a, people say roller coaster, which it kind of was. Played in the final, got some subbed out. Tom Winch didn't play, then played really well 13 and then got to the back end. Like the club was flying. Like we were sort of going really well back then. We're sort of starting to think, well, sort of leading towards the finals and we're getting into that spot. And then I was out because I couldn't quite like get in physically. And then it wasn't until I think like the middle of the final series, we just said, look, you've got to get your surgery done and start looking for next season, which was hard because once the call had been made, like in your head, I was thinking I've still got like six or seven weeks before any sort of like grand final, prelim final, things like that. So I thought I'd be able to get there in time. But once the decision was made that the, the surgery had to go ahead, it was hard because I was like, I'm going to miss a grand final. Shuts you down. Yeah. But, but back then, um, having watched the team win in Sydney, like, well, that game was unbelievable. Like, it was about as good as I've ever seen them play. And then you start to think, well, the club's going to play in their first grand final. I'm here. I probably would have played if I wasn't injured. I'm going to miss it. So then it was, I went over there. Clancy Pierce didn't play. We both flew over. Um, we sat next to each other. I was on crutches. He was injured for another reason. I'm not sure why. Um, and you're sort of thinking, I'm going to miss the, the, first, the club's first grand final, which was... Hard to cop, but in saying that, knowing like now, obviously being a West Australian sort of growing up and being played at the footy club for long enough, I just wanted us to win our first one. So like you get, you bypass the initial, I'm not going to be part of it to 
you want us just to be like get the the first flag out of the way. So um, that didn't happen either. But even and like the way that Pav spoke in the grand final um, on the day, he's like, "I oh, will be back." So you think probably was that, right? Was that post? Yeah. So this is on the ground. No, he said, "Oh, you know, we'll be back." And it was probably a bit of a throwaway comment about um, like he was disappointed, had some confidence in the team still that we'd be okay. But you sort of think in your head. Like we were really good, good in 2012, really good 13. It ended up 14 and 15. We played really well as well, but we just didn't get back there. And then after that, it was the opportunity was gone. So like the 2013, the day was hard enough, but you still had the optimism of thinking like we're good enough to get back here. So like, let's reset for next year and we'll, we'll go again. So the home and away season for 14 was great. We played really well again. 15 was the same. We just couldn't quite crack the the grand final and premiership. So was 15 your best year? You made the All Australian squad that year. Moved more from Dower to. Not that you remember Dower. I don't know why I said Dower. <laughs> you you were one of the best intercept defenders in the AFL that year. So and you finished on top of the ladder. Yeah. Premiers. Yeah. Yep. And I think that like when you look back at say 12, 13, 14, and 15, like what Ross's real strength was. Um, like your good players are always going to be good. So like your Fifees, your McFarlands, your Pavlages, your Sandlands. So all those guys are always going to be good. But when your team starts to go well, your team elevates, the individuals elevate with it. So like you end up in a point where you're playing in a grand final. There's only two teams to watch. So then you get guys like your role players that would have played all season, won't get any media, don't get much attention. They'll start to go, do you know what's important? These guys are keeping this person to one goal a game, this person to – so, like, you elevate the individuals by the team's success. So we sort of went through a period there where defensively we were strong because that's what Ross's game plan was. Um, and 15 was probably um, – like, I had a bit of a change of role then because Michael Johnson was there, Luke McFarlane was there. Well, we had some defenders that were – I was, like, a third tall. So I was half of sort of the tall guys and half of the small, but I didn't really have a pure, like, matchup. Like, if you're going best – forward, Luke McFarlane goes to the best one. And then the next tall, Michael Johnson would go to. And then there'd be a third one in between that might be like a bit of a high half forward that we would actually let them go. So you have an opponent initially, but really you're in a position where you don't see him as the most dangerous threat going forward. And let's try and put some um, like some secondary help for like Luke McFarlane, Michael Johnson. We just don't want one-on-ones in the, the forward 50 where we, can, where we can help it. So I was in a position where I wasn't, not that I wasn't playing on anyone, yeah. but I had a bit of a like, license to, if we ever needed a, a plus one, it was me. So I was in a position where if I wasn't the one that marked the ball, say if Michael Johnson did or Luke McFarlane did, I was essentially there on my own because my opponent was either at the stoppage or up the ground. So it was a, um, a bit of a different role. But, um, Did you enjoy that? Is that like more f- a fun, more fun way to play as a backman or would you prefer to just to stick on a guy? There's nothing really fun about playing on like a dangerous <laughs> forward. Like, <'cause, laughs> and like you would know playing on like guys that oh, yeah. you could have like, and as simple as like you could have 10 like one-on-one competitions. So like Scully could play on a forward, have 10 one-on-ones. If he wins seven of them, but the forward kicks three goals, your day's done. The, so the, like, the, you're story d- about, you're done. the story about Tom Lynch is my whole career. Like yeah. you do, do literally have a hundred actions in the game, you get 98 right. You might let Tom Lynch have an exit kick and you get one goal <laughs> kicked in on him because, I don't know, you don't concentrate for five seconds, one second, yeah. and you drop or you shit or yeah. you're done. <laughs> That's Ross would say. And the, the whole the nature of footy is like, obviously you support a team, right? So everyone's got the team they support. But even if you're watching a game of like a neutral teams that you don't actually watch, everybody wants to see the goals and things. So like there's a big build-up, like there's a like really smooth passage of play. They kick it into a forward and like the defender marks and everyone's a bit like, oh. You know, like the whole build-up's been stopped from a defender. So when you're having a great day, yeah. 
yeah. you're sort of disappointing everyone most of the time. <laughs> so like when you're having all these, like a great day for a defender, like you, you might win eight or 10 or whatever contests. But if you lose two or three and you have got like a couple of goals kicked on, you know, you look stupid pretty so, quick. So um, I saw a quote today, literally today from Ross Lyon. He's talking about Max King at St Kilda. He's obviously back there coaching. And he said, football isn't a strongest link game. It's a weakest link game. So uh, the strongest member of your team, they're not going to get you to where you want to go. It's about getting those role players like you're talking about to bring the rest of the team up. Ross Lyon had... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's quotes like coming out of, I don't know, the proverbial. Um, You've had a, what would you say, up and down relationship with Ross? Uh, no, I don't reckon. Like, people sort of think that, but it's not, I don't think it's an up and down relationship. It's just because I was in and out of the team a little bit. So it wasn't that, it wasn't like nasty to me or anything like that. It's so just what about, to play. also what about you dislocate your shoulder out in the field? Oh yeah. You genuinely pop it out. Do you know, where do you get this stuff from? Just from, just from research. You're good at your job. Yeah, okay. So, um. And, and, and how you popped it out, just being a Dow defender. Exactly right. Big, Trying big fist. Best. So what yeah. happened? You spoiled, so you spoiled the ball. Yeah. So this was 2000 and. Uh, 14, I reckon. Yep. Um, we're playing Hawthorne at the MCG. So this is probably, you know, back of 2013, we lose to them in the grand final. So we play, this is the first time we're playing them again. Round MCG, three. Melbourne, right. Um, and I was playing on Luke Bruce at the time. And he's he's come through the stoppage, like reverse. So he had his come through the stoppage and hooked it around the back way and snapped a goal. And then the next play, I've gone to spoil the ball and dislocate my shoulder. So then I came off. And I went down into the rooms to get it sorted because usually you can just – I've had a few. I reckon I've had – I think I've done my shoulders five times, dislocations at different players. And wow. usually it's okay. You can get them in like on the bench or whatever else. But this one, for whatever reason, just wouldn't – we couldn't get it back in properly. It looked like the runner was going to pop it back in on the ground. Like he was sort of like shaping your armour. Yeah, well, it, it's like the – You can't keep playing with a dislocated shoulder though. No, you can't play. Obviously, like it needs to be. I don't think it's obvious. I don't, like I, you can't you can't play with a dislocated shoulder. No, no like you put can't. it back but in you and then put keep it back playing. in to go back out, right? So yeah. you can do because um, I think I did it in t- uh, 2010 twice, and then 2014 was the next time, and then I did it again. I think twice in 2015 or thereabouts. So like I've had a few of them, but this one in particular, I just couldn't get back in for whatever reason. So I went down, walked into the um, like the medical room at the MCG, and then probably like three or four minutes before the end of the um, quarter, it came back in. So then I was still in the room at the time, but Ross had come down through the coach's box and he walked past the room. I was sitting in there and he come back and he goes, any fucking chance you can get on Luke Bruce at that stoppage and not let him kick a goal? From fucking-? And I was like, no worries. Like, there wasn't a whole lot I could really say about it. But You're, you're on the doctor's table. 
I, I was I was sitting on it, so I wasn't out. It had all been put back together, but I was probably two or three minutes after. Was it in a sorted. sling? Oh, no, it wasn't at the time. So I'd it just been put back in because I was laying on my stomach with my arms sort of hanging over the sh- um, bench to get it sorted. So it had just come back in. So I'd sat up again and I was like, you know, I was a bit disappointed because I was like, come off. And But yeah, he comes straight up to me, like walk past the door, come back. And I love like, Any the chance back. you can put some body on Luke Bruce at that 450 stoppage? And I was like, was, wasn't really thinking too much of it at the time. But yeah, that was he took his opportunity when he The best he part of that is like, just seeing Ross Lyon like walk past the hallway and then him thinking like, yeah. no, no, I'm going to go back. Yeah. I'm going to go about this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he did just let it go through. But that, that was his thing. So like he even said to us, everything game day, he said, I'm pretty good with that kind of stuff. And he said, if I'm ever out of line on game day, I'll come and tell you like during the week and say, look, I was a bit out of line or whatever. So he was on game day. He was completely on to like really impressive, like almost like Rain Man with what's going on. But yeah, he took his opportunity at the time to. Do you see any other good sprays across the journey from Ross to you or others? Oh man, heaps. <laughs> Give me a good heaps one. Heaps. Even like um, oh, uh, well, he's, he's given me a few. Um, he said to Lockie near one day because he was wearing the white shorts, and he goes, "Oh, geez, Lockie, the white shorts aren't flattering for you." <laughs> everyone <laughs> else was wearing the white. Everyone. <laughs> yeah, everyone else was wearing them as well. <laughs> and he um, he said a like Clancy Pierce one preseason, like he'd come off like we were just like maybe first week or something into the preseason, so everyone was sort of saying hello to each other. Um, Clancy Pierce had come in with like a big beard. Right. And he goes, Oh, hey, how you going, mate? Hey, Ross, how you going? He goes, Yeah, not bad. Shave your beard, Ned Kelly. <laughs> and like, I don't know if it was joking or not joking. Next day, Clancy Pierce <laughs> all off. Yeah, completely. <laughs> and that, that was the thing. Like, half the time, you didn't know whether it was joking or not joking, but you just took it as, right, yeah, I'll get rid of that. So when he said, You're gone. You're not thinking you're done. Joking. Yeah, you're done. Sorry. No, done. I knew that, oh, that wasn't a joke. No, because I could tell after the, like, the, um, the team meeting that we'd had and then leading into the, the meeting with sort of five other coaches in the room, it wasn't going to be a great thing. Um, we've, we heard from Pav, the uh, Pris Dane. Were you in the room? Yeah. Gold Coast. Yeah. Pris Dane. Yeah. That's a good one. If you think of any others, feel free to jump in with Ross Lyon sprays uh, throughout the pod. Sure. Uh, 2015, uh, like I said, you finished top of the ladder. There was a game in that, ga- there was a game in that year um, playing Richmond at the MCG, I'm assuming. Could have been Telstra Dome, Anyhow. Marvel, wherever it was. Mm. Um, minute for 50 seconds to go, Richmond's up by two points. Uh, yeah. You're defending, covering exits, more yeah. likely. Basher Hawley, my draft class, decides to pin one up the middle, <laughs> which has got to be one of the worst kickouts of all time. I know. Explain that to people and what happened. This is a good moment of Gary Gibson's career. Yeah, so this was M- – yeah, it was MCG. Um and you're right. Like it was, so it was a kick in. There was a minute 20 or 30 or something to go. So we were behind. What and do you usually do? Okay, give me your point of view. But then if you were, if you guys were kicking out, what should you be doing if you're bashful? Give me both of those. Yeah. Well, I think anyone – and it's hard to say now because like in the moment, like there was a heap of space down the middle of the ground. So he's probably thought, oh, easy kick. I should be able to hit that. We'll get a mark and we can almost count the game like out from there. But I'm pretty sure every team would be the same. Like if you're in a situation where it's – like we used to call it save the game. So if you're in front by however much and there's sort of two or three or four minutes to go, you're essentially icing the clock. So if you can find an easy kick, hit it, take a bit of time off. Otherwise, it's long and wide. Get everyone there so that no one can mark it, no one can do anything with it and just do stoppage after stoppage. Everyone was there. There was literally 16 players on in one forward pocket. There was one Richmond player down the middle. Basher had the ball and then you blokes had his own set up. Yeah, so there was pretty much like every player was on 
one side of the ground, like you say. And then there was like, I was in the middle. My opponent was on the other side of the ground. So like, you're sort of thinking, he's not going to kick it out there. You, I doubt. Like I had enough room. I was probably 10 or 15 metres away from my opponent and I was sort of in the middle of the ground to try and get over to the next one. And he just happened to kick it straight down the middle. But it was, if it had been a 30 metre kick, it probably would have been okay. It's just that he tried to kick it sort of 50 or 55. Like you don't really realise how much ground you can make up on a ball that goes 55 metres. And he just happened to, like a brain fade, I guess, for him. He's kicked it straight down the middle and we marked it. Kicked it to Dave Mundy, he kicked a goal after the siren and we won. So... Like I can imagine how he would be feeling after. He's, and that he's was, like an elite kick from fullback. Oh, yeah, right? gun. Yeah. yeah, absolutely gun. And that was the thing. Like for him, like people with limitations on their kick would go, you know what? I'm going long and wide on this. Um, there's no risk. That's Garrick. That's Will. Yeah, that's all your dower. Like <laughs> if that was me, I'd be saying, because if you put your neck out too far, and Ross used to say all the time, he used to say to Paul Duffield a lot. He's like, mate, because he was an elite kick as well. So he'd go, mates, don't bite off more than you can chew because he'd see a kick and go, you know, if I hit that where it way, if I miss it, it's pretty high risk. So he had to sort of say to him, mate, how about you like tone down some of these like kicks, hot dogs into the middle east of So <laughs> hot dogs, yeah, mate, you're hot dogging it into the corridor. <laughs> like, kind of stuff. So, um, but Basher was the same. So he was a great kick. So he probably thought, you know, I can hit that. Yeah. It's not a, t- it's not a hard kick. It's just that it was too much hang time. And do, um, do you remember because you in that um, video you sort of like you start running almost before he's kicked it. Like, are you thinking he's act, like surely he's kicking it? where everyone else is, but you sort of start to anticipate it. In your head, you're like, I can't believe he's going up the middle. Um, yeah, well, I guess. Yeah, I don't you, really know, but... Yeah, um, you just start running before he kicks it. So you obviously, like, watch this... Elite anticipation. Yeah, anticipation. Yeah. Well, yeah. he's on left footer, right? So if he was... I was on the opposite side to where everybody else was. So in my head, I'm like, he's got to kick it over the other side. But he's run out to the point of the square, point of the goal square, the side that I was on. So I was thinking, he's not going to run out here and kick it way over there. Like, it's not the time to be trying to, like, fool the opposition. Like, you just need to kick it to where you need to kick it. So then once you come to that sort of spot, I was thinking there must be a chance to sort of have a crack at it. So Last one on Ross Lyon. Yep. Um, did you – you you're in rehab a, a fair bit over the journey. Did you always do your rehab under Ross? Any any specific times you didn't? Uh, no, so this – not injury-wise. I'm not sure if you're leading into it. <laughs> I don't know what I'm leading into, actually. Someone sent me this question. Um, Shout out Frank Agostino. Yeah, so this was this wasn't anything to do with rehab. So this was um, like, like pre-season training. No, nah, so training. this was before a game. So leading it, whenever we travel, we'd have to do like we'd fly in on say a Thursday, we'd go for a bit of a walk on the Thursday night, and we get there Friday, we'd have to do um, like again another team walk, and then in the afternoon there'd be ice baths and that around. So you'd have to go and do your massage, you do physio, you'd have an ice bath, and then the game day sort of your day to do whatever you wanted to do. So. Myself, Mick Barlow and Lee Spur, we would always go for a swim on the day of the game. So morning of, regardless of whether it was like, when we used to play those Adelaide games at like 11 o'clock, yeah. we'd be up at like six in the morning wow. going to like driving to the beach. So we did it every, every game. And this one game, we couldn't, like it was too far to get to like the beach in that in time or something. So I didn't do it. So the Saturday when all the ice bars and that were out, I didn't do mine because I was like, oh, I'm going to go and do my swim in the morning. So I'll sort of tick that box on this, the morning of, but we played, I think it was like in Tassie or something. I reckon the game was, and we got hammered. And at the end of the game, I was sitting in the front row and Ross goes, Oh, who didn't do their ice baths yesterday? And straight away I was thinking, Oh, I didn't, but surely there must be others that happen if it's a question like that. So I was thinking, well, straight away, like honestly, first year, like I didn't do it. Hand up. I didn't do it. Hand up. And I think Krause was next to me as well. He was the same. Maybe he didn't do it. <clears throat> I put the hand up and I was sort of thinking in my head, I was like, I haven't heard a whole lot of like movement behind me. 
And I looked around and there was like almost no one else. It was just me and him. <laughs> and then so he um, told a story when he was at St Kilda about Lenny Hayes, who was like a superstar. And Ross loved him because of the type of player that he was. Mm. So Ross went in and he said, oh, ice bars. He said, oh, mate, when I was at Melbourne, he goes, freezing cold. I'm sitting in my hotel room, having my breakfast, scratching my ass. And I look out into the pool and there's Lenny. So Ross is walking up and down this thing and he's got his hands on his head and he's going, there's Lenny chugging away. So this is like leading into the Lenny story. And he goes, mate, if it's good enough for Lenny Hayes, it's pretty much for it's fucking good enough for Carrie Gibbetson. And I was like, <laughs> so then I didn't play again for like a game or two after that. So I was out after that too. So like in my head, I was thinking, well, like no one else is going to do these. Like I'll go, I'll go for a swim at the beach. Like we in Tassie, we used to swim in this like lake, which was freezing cold. Yes. And we'd get down there every morning regardless. So I was like, no one else is doing that. So I'm like, I'll go for my swim on the Saturday. I'll do my swim in the, um, the game day in the morning. I'll be fine. But then, sure enough, check the ice bars. I wasn't in it. So I, um, I missed a couple of games after that. So. Here's Lenny. Here's yeah. Lenny. Yeah, and he, that was part of it. So everybody else, because this was like a team meeting. So he told that in front of everyone. So like the guys now, Mick Barlow, and like the WhatsApp group that we've got now, people talk about Lenny all the time. Because everyone <laughs> thinks Lenny. it's great. At the time, I was horrified because I was like, oh, man. Like, I never missed any recovery or anything like that. It wasn't the kind of thing that I did. But in my head this time, I was like, well, I've got to go to the swim in the morning anyway. I'll go for a swim in the pool, but no ice bath. And I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be okay. I could be fine. But when that happens in a team meeting, is there laughter and stuff or is it just still? Nah, That's a good point. No, nah, there's not. not. Not for that. Like, I'm sure um, – because I, I sat in the front row again anyway. So he was looking sort of down at me in the front row. i got no doubt there would have been guys like, you know, kneeing each other and like sort of having a bit of a laugh and things. But for me, I was like, this is not good. And it's the same thing. So like when he's had spray with like other people in the room, when it's not directed at you, like you know that that's going to be a funny story later down the track. But for the poor bloke that's going through it. Like he walks out of the room and everyone turns around and like yeah. has a laugh and yeah. stuff. Yeah, and that's the thing like later at the like, end of the year, um, like we would mention all those sort of things. And like Ross would laugh, like he'd think it's funny at the time too because it's gone. But at the time I was thinking, far out, this is no good. So let's pull back to footy a bit. So 20, 2012, 13, 14, 15, do you look back on that period as missed opportunities or are you content or how does that period feel given you had real dominance of the footy club? Yeah, I probably do think of it as a missed opportunity only because, you know, Ross came in. We played, I think we played in the finals in 2011 anyway under Mark Harvey, but then we had um, – like game plan was completely different then. So 2011, we were good, but if we were, we'd win by a lot or we'd lose by a lot. So we didn't have a whole lot of consistency in the way we were performing. So we made the finals that year, um, had a pretty young list like Stephen Hill and Anthony Morabito and all these sort of guys that had come in. But Ross came in in 2012 and pretty much turned us into like purely defence because I think his whole – he wanted to make the difference between our good games and our bad games a whole lot closer. So like we'd win by a goal or we'd lose by a goal. So we're always in it. So we were going through stages where we were winning, like kicking like 60 points a game, but winning. And like people used to hate it. Like even Frank now, he's like, why would you want to watch that? I said, well, you might not, but I'm sure if you're a Freer supporter and you're winning games and you're in them all the time and you make finals consistently, I'm fairly sure that you'd be like reasonably happy with that. Um, so like we were good 12, played the grand final in 13. I think we might have finished like second maybe in 2014 and then finished top in 2015. Um so, like, looking back, you sort of think, oh, it probably was a missed opportunity. And we just couldn't get past, like, Hawthorne in 2013. Hawthorne got us again in 2015, I reckon it was. Like, we were coming pretty close in that last game as well. You lost that prelim. You lost the prelim in 15. Yeah, yeah. And I think – and Tommy Sheridan probably hates thinking about this. But we kicked a ball 
um, we sent it a ball like with sort of five minutes to go. Was that to Tommy Sheridan? No, I was on the other. I was on the open side. You get the switch. Getting ready for the next kick, and he's dropped it. And he reckons that Cyril, so Cyril picked it up, kicked a goal. And he's come past Tommy and said, mate, you've just cost your team the premiership. And he's oh. Like, oh. so harsh. But like we were close then. We were sort of 10 or 12 points behind or coming towards. So they, they pipped us again there. So um, we just had yeah, a great run of like games for four years, but we just couldn't crack the, the premiership. So in, in hindsight, it probably is a missed opportunity, but yeah, no regrets about it. That's all. Do, you, um, do you get something for winning them the minor premiership? Nothing. Is it talked about at all, like in the club? Is there coin? Does the club get money? I don't think the players get anything. No, there's nothing. There's no outside of giving yourself a chance for the grand final. There's no Mm. real – there's nothing to it. Like we – I think – and I reckon – I can't remember what season it was. We went through – it got to like the last round of the season and we couldn't change spot on the ladder. So Ross rested like eight people. And then they changed it where, yeah, they had to have the week in between the home away season and the grand, and the final series and you yes. couldn't make however many changes because we got rid of like nine blokes or something yeah. and travelled to like a junior list pretty much. And I reckon they changed the rules afterwards. So <laughs> outside of giving yourself the chance to maybe rest a few guys and stuff, there's no real point or like benefit to it. 16 and 17, um, your war for alignments with Peel at that stage. 2016, um, Freo effectively fall off a bit of a cliff really with performance. Yep. Um, and you're playing a bit of waffle that that year, but you missed the you missed the granny by a game because you didn't qualify. You didn't play enough games in the waffle. You weren't yeah. shit enough. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was would. just just not shit enough to play in the grand final. So, so. I'm assuming it would have actually hurt to watch that happen. But that's effectively what that means. You didn't yeah. play enough waffle. Pretty much, yeah. So I didn't qualify. I hadn't played enough games to be able to play. So. And they won the flag. They won the flag with quite 16. a few Freo blokes in it. Yeah, they did. Um, did, did you almost like towards the end were you hoping to get into the pill side so that you could qualify? Is that like part of your thinking? Um, I was never hoping to get into the like the pill side. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess if you, you'd rather play in the in the ones. Yeah, but, but so yeah. like twenty seventeen was probably a good example. So yeah. like I played the first ten or eleven games, I think, of twenty seventeen, and then I was like well and truly um, like committed to the pill side then. Because I'd played sort of as many people games as I had Freo games, and leading into the finals, like I really wanted to be part of that because is off the back of seeing them win it in sixteen. Uh, no, not really. Like, well, it wasn't even that I looked at it and thought like I really want to win the premiership right now. It's just that you spend enough time there. Like twenty sixteen, play AFL, play a peel game, go back to the AFL, play a peel game, play a game, back a game. Well, twenty seventeen, I was sort of the whole back half of the season. I was at peel, so. Like you start to get a relationship with the players down there, you know, the support staff, like everyone who puts so much time and effort into the footy club, regardless, like East Frio is my, like my side really. So like as far as I, if I think about an alignment, like East Frio is my junior club. That's where I would have probably stayed if the alignments weren't around. But once you commit so much time to say Peel and like whichever team you're in, like of course I wanted to play in that grand final. So um, we're lucky enough to win it and it was great, obviously. Um, but yeah, it wasn't one of those things where at the end of the season, oh, I hope I can really qualify and win or play in the grand final. Because the other part of that is there's some poor bloke at Peel who's played their whole season. Mm. I'm going to pop in for one last game just to qualify and someone's going to miss. Yeah. So it, it probably happened in 2017 with Aaron Norton. So he played a whole bunch of footy, but he was 17 or something at the time. And we had 10 Freo players, I think, playing that side. And he was the one that didn't play because he was... 17 years old. Like, he played some really good footy back then. Like, you could see how good he was going to be. But he missed out. So, 
it, it's one of those things. There's always someone that's going to miss. And the, the alignment side can be good for people or it can be terrible because you're pretty much going to have 10 or 12 AFL players in that side throughout the year. Mm. So you've got 10 guys who are Peel Thunder players who are going to play and there's others that are in and out depending on like the Frio players that are in. So, um, yeah, it depends how you look at it, I guess. Premiership uh, in the waffle, though, is your last action effectively for the Frio Footy Club. You retire 2017. Yeah, yep. Um, what's that feeling like retiring in front of your teammates? Uh, were you ready? Were you, you know, look back on it now? Yeah. So 2017, I sort of played the first half of the season with Freo. I was starting to have some hip problems going into sort of the back half of that season. So I wasn't playing well. I was having problems with my hip. Sort of got to around 15 or 16, I reckon. And I'd sort of said, I was like, I went and met Ross and met Bondi and I said, look, I'm going to be done at the end of the season. I was out of contract anyway. Like my hip was killing me. I couldn't really do a whole lot, like footy-wise. I was pretty hopeless in the grand final as well with Peel, to be honest. Um, but by that stage, like we had a baby on the way. My body was sort of starting to shut down anyway. Like the retirement for me, not that it was a relief because I was still emotional and having to tell the guys that I was like, pulling the pin was, was hard. But um, timing-wise, it was... I imagine it's difficult for someone who, like, their body's still fine. They still think they've got plenty to give and they get told that they're done. Like, it wasn't like that for me. Like, I just couldn't – even if they said you could have a contract, I would have been very surprised if I could apply anyway. So – Were they, were they going to give you a contract? I doubt it. Did, was, did you tell Ross? <laughs> <laughs> did, did, did Ross tell you that he wasn't uh, a contract anyway? Didn't yeah. he clip you on the way out? Well, I think he sort <laughs> of – I don't know whether it was – um, I don't know whether he was like, – meaning to like to say it in a, a nasty way because he sort of said look it's great that you can take control of your own career and sort of say look you know when you're done there's no point just hanging on and hanging on and then just saying oh mate we don't really need you you can go so when I was when we sort of went through that process of I said look I'm going to be finishing at the end of the season like my body shot whatever and he's like midway through like towards the back end he said mate it's great you can take control of your own career and he said um like you weren't in our plans next year anyway and I don't know whether it was him trying to say like you've made a great decision like you're not like we're sort of really wanting you to play and you've made the wrong decision. Like he said, oh, no, we're sort of not – you're not going to be in our plans next year anyway. And, like, I wasn't surprised because I hadn't played the whole back half of the season. But it was just one of those things I was like, if he's, is he doing this on purpose or is he just trying to, like, like back me up to say my decision was right? So, so you finish a one-club player. Mm. Uh, what, what would have happened if that was with West Coast? Do you like West Coast? What do you mean what would have happened? I don't know. You have one-club player at home with Fremantle. Um would you have been as happy doing that for West Coast in your uh, own state? I just, I've just been told that you're potentially not a massive West Coast fan. No. Well, the, well, the thing is, if I had got drafted to West Coast, I wouldn't have been a Freer fan probably That's by then too. Point. So, um, And who were you a fan of? Well, I was a Carlton supporter growing up. Right. But like, I got drafted at 17, so I stayed at home and was lucky to do so. Um, and I, it's just a loyalty thing for me, I guess. And it's very easy for me to say that I just want to stay a one-cup player because I was in my home state. Like if I had gone to Brisbane and spent three years there, I, there's every chance I would have said, look, I want to come home to family. But yes. because I was here already, I had no desire to go anywhere. Um, like I love the footy club once I'd started. Like they'd given me my crack. I'd been there since 17. My family were in the same state. And once you've sort of set yourself into a club like that, you get so invested in it that I had no desire to go anywhere else. And like the West Coast thing, it would have been the same. If I had gone to West Coast, I would have had the exact same feelings about West Coast and the same feelings and to Frio going, well, they're the opposition and it's just one of those things. Once I was in and part of the footy club, I didn't have any interest in going anywhere else. And I was just so like, proud to be a Freo player. And like, if people say, oh, if you could do it all over again, would you go to like a club that's going to win a premiership? I'm like, 
I don't even know if I can answer that question because I'd love to do it all over again with Frio and see if we can maybe crack the, the first fight with them. But, like, it's a hypothetical question. Yeah, I didn't even ask about derbies. Do you have derby memories? Was, um, that, was, that, was that big for you personally, footy club? Derbies. I love the derbies and I was actually thinking about it um, on the way here. I had to look and see what the ledger was because when we started playing, like I think I played 14 times and won eight and lost six, but I reckon there was a time when like we won about six in a row and then West Coast won like 10 in a row. Like there was never really a time that I played when it was we won one, you won one. Yeah. It was almost like different stages the whole way through where there was never really a period where it was all – Who's going to win? Yeah, who's going to win? It just seemed to be like – and there was games where like we kicked – I think the first quarter of one game, we kicked like 10 goals or something to one. (laughs) West Coast did the exact same thing to us like the next time. It was just one of those things. Like it was – I love the game and it's more the people that you see in the street and people that you – like even now, like you see how passionate people are about their footy club. Um, And growing up in WA, I just – like I look at a showdown, I think, yeah, great, but it's a showdown. I don't understand it because I'm not over there. But here, because you live here and you understand it, that's the I used to love just playing in the game. Do we have any? Do we have any moments? Do we, do Us? Yeah, you and I. I don't think so. I'll just, Both I'll, defenders, I actually, I'm not actually leading you into anything. I'm just asking. I probably didn't see you. I'll get off your mind at all. I don't think so. No, after you already quit me, like in the Peel Thunder days, I reckon that was it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> just, just quickly, um, just thinking back to 2017 Waffle Grand Final. Was that the last game played at, the, at Subiaco? Last game of AFL of of, of football? Me. Yeah. Or, no. no, but like in ever. Oh, ever. Yeah, I don't know. The new stadium started in 2018. So you may have played uh, in the last game maybe. of football on, in, on Subiaco. When was that? Uh, where was the next Waffle Premier? Uh, Optus, 2018. Yeah, Optus okay. stadium started 2018. Yeah, maybe in that. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. It did exist for 2018 though, because we still had facilities there. So I'm just wondering if they played games there or not. Oh, like Subi we, we or something. Tra- we were training there. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, Post footy career, mate, you finish up. Like you said, content, good timing. Um, what's the journey been like for you outside of footy? Uh, we know you're with Fleet Network now, general manager. How's that that journey been for you? And have you used what you learned as a footballer and in team environment into what you're doing for work? Um, yeah, we get, we get asked about that fairly regularly, about your, your footy background and whether you think it helps you, um, like what I'm doing now. I think I don't think it can hurt. Like when you're working in a team environment with a footy, it's the same thing as when you go into an office. It's just like you're all trying to achieve the same sort of thing. Um, the commitment's probably a little bit different. Like when you've got a guy who, um, when you're playing in a footy club, your commitment is a little bit different because you've only got one place to go. Like if you're not playing well and you're not committed, you're out, you know. So it's I guess it's different. But like my journey from playing footy to getting to Fleet Network, like I pretty much was at Fleet Network nine months or so after I'd finished playing footy. So – um, I met with Frank. Well, actually, Ryan Murphy, who I played footy with at Freo, he was working there at the time. I bumped into him at a cafe in Osmond Park and was like hating what I was doing at the time. Um, and he said, you should come make like, Frank. We're looking for a new consultant. So I went and met him the next day. And then I'd started there sort of two weeks after. So um, the transition was pretty quick. And I've been there sort of four and a half years now. Um, and been very lucky. Sort of Frank's been, I guess, my mentor since I've been there. I haven't had a whole lot of like, business experience outside of Fleet Network, really, to be honest. So um, having him there, and even still now, like we see him, he's got other things outside of Fleet Network that he does, but we see and speak to him almost as much as I speak to my wife, pretty much. So <laughs> you, blokes the, have, you blokes have got a workout routine, you got text message, WhatsApp groups. You're pretty tight in the Fleet Network. Yeah, we are. And that's um, like, you know, Frank's a footy background. Adam Pickering, who's there, he's a footy background. Um, like if most of the 
the guy consultants there all play footy as well. Um, some of the girls play hockey. Like everyone in the business has pretty much got some sort of a sporting background. And part of the reason why we hire that way, it, it's based around like a team environment. And like culture is very important for us at Fleet Network. And it, like hiring people is very hard, right? And like looking through resumes and like if you put up an advert on Seek and there's a thousand resumes, it's very hard to pick who's best and who's not. But if you know somebody and you know what they're like, you're sort of halfway there already because you can train most things. You want to have someone who's got the right attitude. So that's where we sort of lean towards that at Fleet Network. And we sort of get a great bunch of people that we've got now that are all willing to do sort of over and above for Fleet Network. But it's also the same as, um, and like Ross was advocate for this, for and with. So if you do something for someone, they'll do something with you. So we, we try, and we're not perfect. So like it's, you're never going to be perfect with who you hire and things, but we've got a really good crew there and um, we sort of think we're on the right track. I think nice. d- discipline-wise and stories you've told today, I would be very surprised if you haven't learned a lot through your sporting career that you're using every day. You tell a funny story about missing an ice bin, mm. but like how that reflects too in like the business world would be like, I don't know, if you get told to do something, you've got to do it or I don't know, little, little things like that. So like you look back at those things like, well, I didn't do my fucking ice bin. But like it's, it's an action that your boss has said do it. And if you don't do it there, you're out of the team. Yeah. So. And you're probably right. That even um, like just being there. So like we work pretty long hours, but it's very, it's a whole lot easier to sort of be. And accountability is something that the same footy clubs are very like an accountable environment. Same as a workplace. The way that you deliver some of your um, feedback is probably different when you're comparing with a footy club compared to say a, a work environment. But some of the the basics are definitely there. Like you say, you miss an ice bath when you're supposed to. You know it's not the right thing. Yes. It's very easy to say to someone, like, if you commit to something, and this is what we sort of try and do a bit as well. We try and um, get the whole business involved with, like, our strategy and things like that so that once they have committed to it themselves, it's a whole lot easier to say to someone, look, we asked you if you thought there was any issues with it. You guys have committed to it as well. Your feedback becomes a whole lot easier to give. Just can imagine the Ross line set up, though. Everyone's in an auditorium. <laughs> Garrick walking around yeah. up the front, like, oh, nah. it's good enough for you, Sandra. There's none of that. No, none of that there. Um, mate, uh, been a pleasure. Uh, have you checked your phone? Mm. Um, you, you've got a third child due imminently. Any second. <laughs> yeah. Are, we, are got, we all clear? <laughs> no, nah, so, yeah, so far so good. Yeah, we've got the baby due in two days. So Good, mate. Um, that's us done and dusted from our end. Have you had fun? Loved it. It's been good. Garrick Ibbotson, everybody. Now. Uh, before we finish up, social media, social media, not that, social media. We want to get the people asking you the questions. You've heard enough from Dan and I, a little bit of Frank. Uh, we're going to get some social <laughs> questions to you. Barney underscore 94. Uh, Favourite Frio jumper in your time? Um, see, I like the the red, purple, like green and white. I think I like those ones yep. the best. I think we had one in 20, 2008 or 2009. I think that's probably my favourite one. All right. Um, Bo Downham uh, No John underscore Dawson uh, Do you keep fit with your brother-in-law? I want to add something to that Is it a bit stiff Like given the family you've mar- married into uh, Where do you sit in the pecking order In terms of mm-hmm. It's not great Call your footballers Well you talk about like a dower like You think I'm 177 Life member like Not terrible Walk into the um, the in-laws and you've got Sandow medalist, Brownlow medalist, and like, so all of a sudden you're like the worst player at the table. <laughs> There's only three white blokes there and I'm the worst of the three. So, so you're married to help. Ben Cousins' uh, sister, Sophie, is yep. your wife. So yep. you're at family dinner and like you said, you've got Sandlovers and Brownlow. What stories do you tell about sport? At the dinner? 
I can't have any. Big spoils. Seven <laughs> goals. Seven I goals. I was born a goal when I was young. Yeah. I was born a goal when I was. I got I dislocated my shoulder, and my coach was still telling me <laughs> to like, get out there and stop my man. Yeah, it's different. Different set of. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to say, to be honest. <laughs> That's very good. Mm. Uh, now, um, we've sort of got that one. Uh, don't want to do that one either. <laughs> we can't do that second last one. I mean, no. What, CM O'Brien? No, we can't do that. Okay. We can't do that. That's no good. Uh, Bubby underscore 18. All right, this is two-parter. Okay. Firstly, most underrated player you've ever played with? Um. Probably Lee Spur, I guess. And in like the reason why I say that is um, when you talk about playing on someone like as a defender, his whole like I can imagine mentally for him it would have been a nightmare. Like every he would play on like Cyril Rioli, Robbie Gray, like all these sort of guys that can like kill you in an instant. Like Lindsay Thomas, like goes like you wouldn't see him for the whole game, and they kick three goals in five minutes, and you know, all of a sudden you're like. Oh. <laughs> Or like if they kick a goal in the first minute, or Mark Lacroix, like that was his like lineup. So he'd be going like every week. There's someone else, and like he might touch the ball eight times or nine times. But if they kick three or four, like you'd, like your whole day's ruined. Or like if they kick one or two, they're like, oh well done, mate, good work. Like no one really cares. So <laughs> yeah. that's like for him. Sounds he like was you're always, six kicks. Yeah, he was always had like his like stitches in his eyes, and like he just had a like a horrible way of playing footy. Unfortunately for him, but he's probably the guy that like when you think about what we had like defensively. Um, Your back line was elite. Like, she so had some proper backmen. We're back, it was pretty good. And, like, Lee Spur was probably the part of that. He was the one real lockdown defender. And Luke McFarlane probably was the second one. But then there was, like, Paul Duffield, Cam Sutcliffe, Clancy Pierce, myself, Michael Johnson, that rotated through there for sort of four years was about it. Zach so, Dawson was fighting around there. And Zach Dawson, yes. Yeah, so he was a real lockdown as well. So um, you talk about those sort of guys. They're the ones um, that really had the, the job of stopping, like, the opposition's best forward. So, like, we can... Like every single week you're thinking, right, so Cyril Rioli's just like tore me up. Now I've got to roll into Robbie Gray. Like if you have a couple of good games in a row, you're great. But if you have two bad ones, you're not walking into any real easy ones after that. So, Second parter is uh, greatest docker, Pav or Fife? Uh, or unless you want to bring in a third, it's, it takes uh, uh, those two. I still think – I don't know if we spoke about this before. I still think that um, Pav is the, the best docker. Um Looking at, and I think Pav and Fife are the two. Dave Bundy's like longevity wise, like he was a great, great player. Dave Bundy, like it's it's unfortunate for him because you probably think of like he's not in the conversation with those two, but he was a like ridiculously good player, and he's not far behind. But I think Pav for me is the one that's the the real greatest. Like, like Five, he's had his seasons, like he's had like when he goes really well, he's like unstoppable. But he's had injuries and things, and I just sort of see if you're picking a team, you want a big key forward like Pav. Um, and for what he did, considering like the first half of his career, Freo weren't going that well either. So, like he was loyal to the club. He's come over from Adelaide. He could have gone back a number of times um, as a leader. The way that he was, his, the way that he performed, I still think he's probably the the number one. Would you change your call if, in the next two years, three years, seeing though Fife has just signed a two year deal, Freo win a premiership, and Nat Fife is a premiership player? Um, change your mind. I guess and he it, has a significant role in it. I don't know. Kicks forty from full forward. Yeah. So if he if he has a significant role, it doesn't mean that he has to win the Brownlow like one of the next two years. But if he has a significant role, he's playing consistently and things, and he happens to win one of the next couple, it might swing my 
my vote, possibly. But at the moment, I think I still think Pav is is the number one. Before we get to the last one, just the current like Freo, like are you, are you enjoying watching them? It must it must be good to watch as a past player team going well. Yeah, absolutely. Like they had their bit of a rough trot at the start of the season. I didn't know what was going on, but <laughs> um, like so last year, the way they played and where they ended up, I sort of thought they might have over overachieved a bit last year. Um, but they were playing so well, their ball movement was great. And then coming into this year, I was concerned about the amount of changes that they'd had. So like losing sort of four or five starting players from last year's team, replacing them with guys that are probably going to be better long-term, but I wasn't sure about Luke Jackson and how he's going to go and whether that would impact Sean Darcy's game um, coming in, not big contracts. So I just was a bit concerned about losing Blake Akers. And, um, but yeah, I'm confident now that they seem to have turned their season around again and they're playing the way that they were last year. So it's not like everything has been completely flipped on its head. It, they're just back to playing the way they were last year, which is nice. Can you say I'm win a flag? This year? Oh, sure. But yeah, uh, with this group, can this group win a flag? Uh, I reckon they're d- maybe not now. I think the group they've got, they're probably getting there. Um, I would say in the next two or three years that they'd need to, they need to do it in the next two or three to make it yeah. a thing. Um, and they need to have a more consistent year than they're having now. So the, the start of the season, I was thinking, oh, their ball movement's been completely shot. Started yeah. with St Kilda and just seemed like they'd gone completely backwards from where they were the year before. So um, I think they've got the list to do it. Um, they haven't had a real issue with injury concerns yet. Like if they happen to lose two or three big guys, big guys, like, you know, Sean Darcy was out for a bit and Fife was out, but if they happen to have a little run of two or three or four, I just don't know whether they can get through enough games with that, um, with the list just yet. Last question, Dan. I've got, I've got one more before Tappy. We've, we've actually snuck in a couple in yeah. the social media. Do you have, this, is ro- this is a rogue one. <laughs> oh, Do you have any memories of playing with Kepler Bradley? Yeah. Anything that you can share? I just, he's that, Guy that or like what I think about like once a week randomly like a, once a just, week you think about Kepler Bradley. Kepler Bradley just pops into my mind <laughs> as like a, as a rogue Fremantle Docker player that just that pops into my head yeah mate I've got plenty of like memories of Kepler Bradley and they probably the same thing again footy wise he was quite handyish um but he was a really high draft pick came over from Essendon to us and he used to say all the time he goes I've got no hair he goes I've had seven one year contracts he goes it's not a great way to play footy. <laughs> But um, like we used to do a whole bunch of like leadership training when probably 2010-ish it probably started. And he came over and he said, the issue that I've got is everyone, as soon as he opens his mouth, they think he's going to say something funny. So no one takes him seriously. Right. And after being there for a while, he's spot on. Like the way that he speaks, like the things that he says, like some of the, like, I think even like, he used to go through and like he loved VB. And like he went through to the like, bottle shop one day and he's like, oh, just a carton of VB, thanks. And the guy at the counter goes, oh, mate, yeah, we've got, um, they're like 50 bucks for one, but it's $90 for two. And he goes, well, yeah, I'll take two. And then he goes, if you buy a third, it's 30 bucks. He said, mate, stop. Because <laughs> he goes, if you keep doing this, I'll end up with 50 of them. So he said, just stop at two and we'll be done. And that, he's the kind of guy that was like that great person around the footy club. Like he'd go down to the Saint because he lived that way in the off season. And he'd put like 100 bucks on the bar, go down there on his own. And he'd just tell the bar person, look, every time I have a fight, I'm empty, just replace it, take the change. And I'll just sit here until it's done. And he'd gradually like just recruit guys to come and have a beer with him. And like, you know, <laughs> he's just one of, he's one of those blokes. Like everyone loved to play with him, and he was a great person around the club. But yeah, he was just like, ultimate like club man, great humour. Um, and but that's just what the way he was. Like, it didn't change for anyone. We need to get Kepler. Yeah, I want Kepler on the pod. You really should. Yeah, Tappy ninety five. Last question: How does Garrick like his eggs cooked? Sincerely, the Eggman. Hey mate. <laughs> Answer the question, Garrick. Uh, probably poached, I think. Okay. Poached with Vegemite. 
Wow. <laughs> Excuse me? Wow. Like on Vegemite on the oh. toast. Yeah, so I have toast, Vegemite, poached eggs. I actually think I learned that from um, Alex Silvani or McFarlane, one of those two. That's us done and dusted. Uh, Backchat underscore studios is our socials. Hello at backchatpodcast.com today. You can send us an email if you like. All of our stuff over at Backchat Podcast website. Uh, Fleet Network is driving and powering Backchat in 2023. Big time. Thank you very much, Garrick and Frank. Uh, Swimply, Whippersnapper Whiskey, Margaret River Roasting Co., Blue Bet, Shelter Brewing Co., Leadable Cameras. Uh, thank you very much for our supporters, our sponsors. Thank you, Garrick. No worries. Mm-hmm. You're going to hang around for one more question and one more story for us for our patrons, our VIPs. I'm going to ask you, the question's going to be, how do you know Manny Pacquiao? So there you go. <laughs> yeah, you want to listen today. Garrick's relationship with Manny Pacquiao? You stick around. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.